May God speak to you through today's message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Good morning and welcome to Parkway Fellowship. Really glad that uh, you're here with us today. I also want to say welcome North Campus. Glad you guys are with us as well. Now, all right, all, all, all you guys at both campuses, if you played football in high school, raise your hand. All you guys, oh yeah, look, look, all you, North Campus, you guys, that's right. All right, put them down. Now, you might not know this by looking at me, but I played varsity football in high school. No, I really did, I promise. Now, I, I played at a really small school, so I don't want to understate the desperation they had for just players. But I still got the letter jacket, baby, so it works, all right? Anyway, I remember right after I registered for football, um, the coach sent all of us a letter outlining the workouts that we were supposed to do during the summer so that when we showed up at football camp in August, like, you know, we'd show up in shape. Well, I, you know, I read the letter. I started looking at it. And I was like, man, this is kind of a lot. And so, and I, look, and I knew some of the guys that had played on this football team last year. I was like, there is no way these guys are doing this. And then I thought, well, okay, Coach probably, you know, set the standard up here knowing that most of the guys were going to, you know, actually perform here. So if I just did this much, like I'm going to be better than most of them. So that's what I did. So anyway, I show up at football camp and I'm, I'm, I'm in pretty good shape, but I'm not near the shape that the letter asked us to be in. And after that first round of three days, after that third practice on that first day, I promise you, I could hardly walk to the car to go home. And, and seriously, the next morning, like when I woke up, I, I remember just laying there, I was like, I, I, I can't even move. Like everything in my body hurt. And then I, then I thought to myself, self, you should have taken that letter a little more seriously. It's true. Now, I think that a lot of us treat the Bible a lot like I treated my coach's letter. We, think, we look at the standards of the Bible and we say, you know, I know some Christians and they're not doing this. So God must have set the standard up here knowing that most people are going to perform here. And so if I just come in right about here, I'll be better than most. But here's the thing. God doesn't compare us to other people. Okay? God compares our lives to what he's written in his letter, the Bible. That's what it says. And furthermore... When we aren't used to obeying the Bible, the first few weeks or maybe even the first couple of months of when we really start to align our lives with the Bible, it, it can be kind of like a shock to the system, kind of like showing up to football camp out of shape. It can, it can feel like everything in my life hurts. <laughs> it, it could actually be a little bit painful, but if we will just stay with it and press on, then that soreness of big life adjustments eventually goes away as we become 
more and more mature spiritually. So today, we're going to talk about two values that, that, honestly, they can be a shock to our system if we're not used to them, but they can really make us spiritually stronger because these two values have the capacity to change our lives in really, really noticeable ways. Now, how do I know? It's because these two values have probably changed me more than any other two values we're going to talk about in this entire series. So go ahead and pull out your message notes if you haven't done so already. And let's ask this question. What are the two values that have the capacity to bring noticeable change to my life? The first one is the value of spiritual growth. It's the value of spiritual growth. And let me read the value to you. We accept people as they are when they walk through our doors with the anticipation of transformation. It's with the anticipation of transformation. Now look, here's the deal. You don't have to clean up your act to become a Christ follower. But once you do, then there is an expectation that your life will change from that point forward. All right? But that only happens if you value spiritual growth. Look, and every day, you're faced with decisions to pick between you know, spiritual growth and something else. For instance, do I, do I spend time alone with God today or do I sleep in a little bit longer? If I only have time to do one thing, do I work out my physical body or do I work out my spiritual body? Do I read my Bible today or do I watch the next episode of whatever it is I'm watching on Netflix? Do I, do I get everybody out in the rain and in the cold to go to church, or do we stay at home? Do I take a chance and invite my neighbor to church, or you know, do I just keep the conversation light? Do I join a small group, or do I fill my already overcommitted schedule with you know, something else? Look, here's the thing. You make choices every day to grow or to not grow in your faith. And if you make spiritual growth a high value, then you're gonna choose one way. And if you don't make spiritual growth a high value, then you're very likely to choose another way. And that was at the heart of the problem for the Christ followers in the church in Rome and during that very first century. They weren't placing a high enough value on spiritual growth, and I want you to look what happened to them. In Hebrews, Chapter 5, verse 12. Hebrews is written to the uh, Christ followers in Rome. It says this. It says, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. So let me ask you, what about you? Is spiritual growth a high enough value in your life. Now look, there's three diagnostic questions that you can ask yourself that will tip your own hand so that you can know for sure if this is a high enough value in your life. Here they are. I've written them for you in your bulletin, so just follow along. First question is this. Where were you in your spiritual journey with Christ five years ago? Think back to where you were five years ago. Because if not much has changed then that's an indicator that 
this value needs to move higher up the priority list. Here's the next one. What do you want to be true about your commitment to Christ five years from now? What do you want to be better, to do better in your spiritual life? What sinful habits do you need to put an end to? Okay, here's the thing. Let's be honest, just like the church in Rome. Some of you ought to be teaching and leading a small group by now in your Christian life. And so if you're not, do you need to assist your small group leader this semester in anticipation of leading a small group in a future semester? Uh, What other commitments do you need to make to grow spiritually? All right, here's the third question. Is the path you are on going to get you there? Is the path you're on going to get you there? Now, if the answer is yes, hey, then just keep going down the path. Keep doing what you're doing. But if it's not then what is it you need to change? What what values have we talked about in this series do you need to make a a bigger commitment to? I mean, do you need to join a small group so that you can study the Bible more? Maybe that's what you need to do. Look, let me take a moment and just be transparent here. It wasn't until high school that I made a serious enough commitment to my own spiritual life to really begin to grow in Christ. Because it was when I, when I got to high school that I realized that I was the one responsible for my own spiritual growth. Okay? Not my parents, not my pastor, not my youth pastor, not my small group leader, me. I mean, I grew up in a good home, so I had plenty of parental parental support and all that kind of thing. And my parents took me to church. But here's the deal. I was the one responsible for my own spiritual growth. And when I came to grips with that, then I chose to make my own personal spiritual growth a really, really high priority in my own personal life. And it was at that point that I finally began to change. And God began to change my life. And it's at that point that your life will begin to change too. When you elevate this value to the highest level. So here's the thing. Would you be willing to make a commitment right here, right now, that you will elevate spiritual growth to be one of the highest values in your life? Because here's the thing. Once you adopt this value as your own personal responsibility, that's when you're going to see major change in your life. And say, here's the thing. All of the values in this series will help you grow spiritually. But if you keep spiritual growth at the top of the list, then all of the other values show you where you need to grow to reach maturity. You see how all that works? So would you be willing to make a commitment to make spiritual growth your highest value? All right, let's move on to the next one. And this is a value where I've had some really noticeable growth in the last several years. It's the value of generosity. It's the value of generosity. Here's how the value reads. We lead the way with obedient, irrational generosity. Our trust is in God alone, not in material things. 
Now, let me, tar- let me start off by telling you about my journey to become generous. And, and honestly, it's a journey that I'm still on. When I was a little kid, I mean like, like six years old, my parents started giving me an allowance. When they gave me an allowance, they always gave it to me in four, they gave me a dollar a week, and it was always in four quarters. Um, 25%, I mean 25, 25 cents I had to put in the offering plate at church. 25 cents I had to put in my Batman piggy bank. And the other 50 cents I got to keep to, you know, spend on whatever I wanted. Now, the, the amounts of money aren't nearly as important as the lesson, okay? The, less, the key lesson that I learned from that whole experience is that any money I received was not all mine to keep. Some was for giving. Some was for saving. And then the rest I got to spend on whatever I wanted to. And I'm telling you, I am so thankful for that lesson that all the money I receive is not all for me because that has helped me so, so much in life. And you would think that that sort of experience would have helped me become a generous person, but it didn't. In fact, I actually became the opposite. I actually became very miserly, which is, which is odd because for my entire life, I've always given God at least 10%. I've given him 10% of whatever I've made. But here's the thing. I viewed the rest as mine, that everything else was mine. And so after I had obediently given God what I owed him, then I felt like I was under no obligation to give anyone or anyone else a thing. And so I didn't. Now, I was incredibly obedient, but I was not generous. And you can ask my wife. I mean, for years in our marriage, like, I was obedient, but I was not generous. And then one day in my um, time alone with God, the Lord really convicted me about that attitude and my approach to money. And he showed me that, yeah, although I was obedient, I wasn't generous. And don't you just hate it when God shows you the true condition of your own heart? Oh, it's, it's it's, it's horrible when you really get a good look at it. And so, see, I, my problem was I thought I was generous, but the truth is I wasn't. So you know what I, God, started ask, God was asking me to do? He asked me to start giving him more than 10% of my income. So I talked to Amy about it, who, by the way, was so excited to start giving more because my wife is a generous person. And so we started giving God more than 10% of our income. And I can promise you, it, was, it wasn't until that moment that I actually started moving down the road to true generosity. It, that was the moment that got me started down the path to being generous. And so we've continued to give God more than 10% of our income. And in addition to that, we also support four World Vision kids, we give to the Christmas offering every year, and, and I always buy $7 bags of Skittles from kids walking around the neighborhood, giving, you know, doing fundraisers and stuff. Some of you remember I've talked about that before. Um, 
But all of that was key for me. And look, here's the thing. If you, and all that's like only in the last like eight or nine years or so. Now, if you are going to become a mature Christ follower, then at some point in your life, you have to come face to face with this issue of generosity. And one of the key measures of spiritual maturity is someone who puts their trust in God and not in money. Look, it's not the amount of money you give that matters. Okay? It's not the amount. It's the condition of the heart. And the condition of the heart changes when you walk down a clearly laid out path that the Bible gives us for learning how to become generous. Now, it's a three-step path, and let me share it with you. It's in, your, it's in your message notes. So, growing to maturity in the area of generosity, the first step of the path is that it starts with giving. It starts with giving. Look what Jesus says when he talks about how God wants his followers to live. In Luke 6, 37-38, the Bible says, and this is Jesus talking. He says, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now look, here's the thing. Jesus is just talking about giving here. He, he's not talking about an amount. He's not talking about a percentage. He's just talking about just plain old giving anything. And look, and he says, God expects all of his followers to give. Just like God expects you not to judge, not to condemn, and to offer forgiveness, God says he also expects you to give. And he even provides, Jesus provides even a little bit of motivation. He says that God will take the measure that you use to give, like, you know, as if it's a cup, God will take the measure that you use, and what God will do is he'll, he'll pour some blessings into it, then he'll, you know, shake it down, make sure it's all in there, and then he'll, he'll pack it down, pour a little more, pack it down, and then he'll, he'll, he'll pour so much in there that it stacks up on the top until it actually begins to fall and roll and, 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 and fall off the edge, and then that's what he'll use to pour that blessing into your life. That's how God does it. So whatever measure you use, that's the measure God will use to you, but God will He'll stack it as high as he possibly can to give it to you. Now, let's pause right here just a second. Does this passage of Scripture guarantee that God will pay you back with money? No. He just says that, he says that he'll give it back to you. And that, that could be anything. I mean, it could be, it could be money. But it, it could be opportunities, it could be friends, it could be low anxiety, it could be help to overcome a bad habit or an addiction, it could be a job that you enjoy, it could be, it could be honestly, it could be a million different things. So can we please get past this whole approach that if you give God a dollar, he'll give you 10? Okay, like that is ridiculous. That is nowhere in the Bible. But God does say to give. And that's the first step in walking down this path to becoming generous. But that's just the first step. The second is that it then moves to obedience. That's your next fill-in. The path then moves to obedience. Look what the Bible says 
in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. It says, one-tenth of all crops belong to the Lord, including the crops from fields and the fruit from trees. That one-tenth is holy to the Lord. Okay, now look. God was primarily talking to an agricultural society. So basically he says, hey, whatever you produce, you got to give 10% of it to, back to God. Okay? So for them, that was in the form of crops. But for us, that's in the form of a paycheck. So whatever you produce, one-tenth of it belongs to God. And some versions of the Bible use the word tithe here, and that word basically means first tenth. So the first tenth of whatever you produce, God says that you and I are to give it to him. Did you know that according to the IRS, the average American gives away 3% of their income? And that average hasn't moved for decades. So look, here's the thing. 3% isn't generous. 3% is average. But if you give 10%, then you take a really big step towards what God says because you are becoming obedient to what God says he wants you to give. Now here's the thing, for the mature Christ follower, things go even farther than that because the road to maturity, it starts with giving and then it, be, it, it, then it moves to becoming obedient but then number th the third step is that it finishes at generosity. It finishes at generosity. Let me give you the background to this next passage of Scripture. Here's the deal. The Christ followers in Macedonia were, were starving. They had been so heavily persecuted that they had become destitute. So Paul sends word to the people in Corinth asking them to give, in addition to the 10% that they already give to the church, he, he, said, he asked, would they be willing to give more to help these people in need? And then this is where the Bible actually talks about generosity. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, some people use this passage to say, you know, you can, you can give to God whatever is in your heart to give. So make sure the amount is small enough so that you can just give it by being cheerful. Okay, that is not what this passage is saying at all. Okay, what it says, because the context is talking about whatever you give after that 10% that you obediently give to God. So here's the deal. Whenever there's like, you know, a special cause or a special need or someone's in trouble and they really need help or, you know, whatever it is to those sorts of things, whatever it is you feel like God is asking you to give, then, then you should give that. Not under compulsion, but whatever you feel like you should give, give to that and give it with a cheerful and happy heart. See, it's when you move past that 10% mark, that's when you really move past that line of obedience and actually become generous. That's what the Bible says. And to a world that averages only giving, 10, only giving 3%, 
if you give 10% away of your income, and then from time to time, you give to something or someone or some need beyond that, and you do it with a happy heart, that's what the rest of the world just simply cannot understand. And that's why the value says that we lead the way with obedient, irrational generosity. Our trust is in God alone, not in material things. So, speaking of being generous, let me give you an update on the Christmas offering, okay? Our, our goal as a church was $150,000. As of this last week, our church, both campuses, have given a total of exactly $180,000 to the Christmas offering. Yeah, you can applaud for that. That is amazing. So here's the, here, here's the deal. From this point forward, everything after the 150, from this point forward, every dollar is going to go to an organization called Love 146. Um, and they do an incredible work of rescuing kids out of human trafficking and helping them recover their lives after that. So literally, every dollar that is given to the Christmas offering from this point forward, every dollar will go to help rescue another little girl will go to help rescue another little boy out of trafficking and then help them get their life back. But here's the thing. This is the last week to give to the Christmas offering. We will continue this offering through January 31st, okay? And since that's a Saturday, then it will, in two weeks, on February the 8th, I will come on that Sunday and give us the final amount that we've given. So listen, if you haven't given to that offering yet, or maybe you didn't really pray about it and you really want to go back and do that and say, okay, God, are you asking me to give more with a happy heart, being generous? Then, then do that this week because this is your chance to practice generosity. And so give, please, give to this important offering. But more importantly, look, wherever it is that you are on the path to generosity, take the next step. Take the next step. Because in doing so, you'll be taking a giant step towards spiritual maturity. And here's the thing, you're actually, you'll actually become a happier person. You'll be much less stressed out about money. And you'll have the satisfaction of knowing that God has used you to help so many people through life because you gave through your church, you gave through organizations like Love 146 and others. So, let's take some next steps towards making both of these values high priorities in your life. So find your connection card and let's take some of these next steps together. Here's the first one. I'm making a commitment that spiritual growth is gonna be a high priority for me personally. Would that be a next step that you would take? That you're going to make it a high priority for you personally because only you're responsible for your own spiritual growth. Next, I'm committing to make spiritual growth a high priority for my kids and teenagers. Because look, they need your help in making that a priority for them. So would you help your kids? And one key way to do that is to be part of a small group. So look at this next one. Sign me up for a small group and then write the code there. There's a, the catalog in your bulletin of all the small groups. If you haven't signed up for one, you need to. Get this. Last week, this last week was the first week to sign up for small groups in the spring semester. We had a total 
of 1,712 people signed up for small group in one week. Holy cow. So look, if you haven't signed up for small group yet, or haven't gotten your kids signed up for a small group, you need to. And so that's the next one. Sign my child or teenager for a small group. We need you to write their name and the code of the group you're signing them up for. All right, look at the next one. I will start to give regularly to God through Parkway Fellowship. Look, any amount, but just start to give something regularly. That's the first step of the path. Next, I will start to give the first 10% of my income to God. That's the second step of the path. Would you do that one? If that's the next step for you? Or maybe it's the third step, which is the next, next step. As the Lord inspires me, I will give to things like the Christmas offering in addition to my 10%, which is called your tithe. Or maybe it's this last one. I will pray the prayer to become a Christ follower today for the first time in my life. Look, let me just, let me be clear about this. You do not have to clean up your life to become a Christ follower. In fact, you become a Christ follower so that God can help you clean up your life. Because when you become a Christ follower, it's at that point that it is with the anticipation of transformation. So look, if you've never become a Christ follower, if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you for everything you've ever done, and then pledged your life to following him, you can do that right now. There's a sample prayer at the bottom of these message notes. If you've never prayed that prayer before, I'm going to give you a chance to pray it right now. And if you have prayed it before, I'm going to give you a chance to take these next moments and pray about whatever next step you've taken. So right now, everybody, bow your head, close your eyes, and let's take these next moments to pray silently. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you for every person listening live um, at both campuses as well as on the internet later on. Father, I want to say thank you that you brought us to a place where you're asking us to adopt these two values in our lives, these values that that have changed me so much. I pray that you would use them to change them as well in very noticeable, amazing ways. Ways that they would look back years from now and say, I am so thankful I did that. Thank you, God, for doing that in my life. And so, Lord, I ask that, you know, when we're sore and tired because of the adjustment these two values demand, Lord, I ask that you would give us the perseverance just to press through because we know that we will grow stronger and eventually that soreness will go away. And so help us, Father, to yield these parts of our lives to you and bring us back next week so that we can hear the close of this series and ask you to do it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.